This is a quote from Michizo Noguchi, who is the creator of um, Noguchi Taiso, which is a method of like Buto body conditioning, like a training that a lot of Buto dancers do. The materials that constitute our body are undoubtedly of this earth and have participated in and experienced the creation process of the earth. Therefore, our body living here and now includes the entirety of history of the earth. What is called live body and mind is precisely a phase of change and flow of the earth. There is no absolute standard for all things. Every standard comes into being within ourselves freshly here and now, each time relatively through relationships. We are joined today by Victoria Maria Moyer, an ecosomatic researcher and practitioner. That's a really cool title. So, <laughs> so cool. And it sounds really cool and fancy, but I think it's really quite mundane. And to me, it really just means I'm being as fully a human being as I possibly can. Awesome. Could you maybe break that down for... Um, for us who don't totally understand, what is eco? What is ecosomatics? You um, mean it isn't immediately apparent to you? Uh, it's, it's something to do with uh, echo with money, right? No, oh. that's a different <laughs> echo social. Echo social, yeah, oh. it's things that reflect back on. Sorry, I don't know what I'm talking about. What's ecosomatics? <laughs> ecosomatics. So let's start with the somatic piece. Hmm. Um, somatics, which maybe some of the listeners have heard of, because I feel like it's becoming a more popular concept now. Somatics has to do with your lived experience of your body from the inside. Um, yeah, I think that's a good enough definition. And so ecosomatics um, adds in this contextual piece of like your body as experienced from within is inextricably intertwined with ecology, the environment, landscape, all the other beings that you're in relationship with. Um, and the reason I find that so important is um, I feel like a, a, a lot of the mainstream somatic practices are so focused on the individual body. And to me, that's just not how life on this planet works. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. When you're engaging in this practice, and maybe I'm, I'm jumping two steps ahead here, but where are those, not boundaries or borders necessarily, but membranes maybe, because there's obviously this porosity mm -hmm. here. What sort of articulation of membranes do you routinely encounter? That's a great question, because I often feel like in my own movement practice, the wor a word that comes up for me a lot is porosity mm. and mm. permeability. Like, our skin is permeable, and so... Um, like we're always taking in information we're giving out information. We're in this very tactile relationship. And to some degree, part of the therapeutic quality of intentionally and consciously doing somatic movement practices is feeling like you have some agency over when you're wanting to be really permeable and porous and like have your membrane be thinner and like taking in information and when you feel like you need a thicker membrane. Um, that's kind of a tangent. I'm thinking about a lot of people I've worked with who like boundaries come up a lot 
Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we do practices around that. And then I also think about like the Noguchi Taiso stuff and seeing the body as like essentially a bag of water and the membrane of the skin holding that water together. Mm. Like, um, it's really thin. I don't know how else to say it. Mm. Like, I don't know what's really holding me in besides, besides the bag that's around the water. (laughs) I feel like I'm not making sense at this point. No, 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 I do what you're saying. Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Do you find when you're particularly engaged in this, the close reading of the practice that you begin to notice effects on the the non-human body which the human body inhabits around you as a result of of this particular attention to to again this membrane you're asking if i'm noticing an effect on the other beings around my body yeah mm-hmm. well that's that's a very interesting question that i've been playing with a lot because sometimes um sometimes i feel like the other beings don't care what I'm doing and that's Mm. totally fine. And I'm not expecting them to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but once in a while, like I'll just get the sudden feeling that like that, that particular tree over there is like watching and Mm. cares and is like Mm -hmm. connecting or resonating in some way. Um, and it's hard to describe this other than saying like, well, it's just somatic awareness. Like something in my inner landscape of my body just feels that suddenly like I had this attention, like eyeballs were watching me or something. Mm. Yeah. Or um, like small, like, I don't know. I I kind of waver in between the mystical and the mundane, like something that could be seen as mundane just feels mystical to me of like doing a movement practice of, let's say resonating with the qualia of springs under the ground and the river nearby like really feeling the intelligence of water communicating between us and then noticing like the tiniest spider crawling on my arm hair, like very subtle. You can barely feel it. And it seems so mundane, but in that moment, it just feels like the most mystical thing ever. And I'm noticing like the web being woven around my arm and feeling like I'm just completely a part of this web. Like those, those moments, um, feel really special to me. Mm. Do you notice that there's a different internal physical note that's, that's consistent between different iterations of these others experiencing and responding? Like, is there kind of a place in your body that you feel tree awareness or mm. that's different from spider awareness or from, you know, mockingbird awareness or whatever? Mm. I think that's too specific. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I think it's it's different on a day-to-day basis, mm. uh, which kind of makes me want to talk about this concept of tasting qualia. <laughs> what is quality? Yeah, what's, <laughs> what's, what does it taste like? <laughs> what, is, what does qualia mean? What is that? Tasting qualia. So the word qualia uh, comes from this guy named Rhizome Lee, who I learned Bhutto from in India. Qualia are everything that is felt by life. (laughs) Not only humans, but all kinds of life feel qualia and use them for living. In other words, qualia are everything that life resonates with. Qualia are everything that our life feels. Um, So like sensory impressions? 
and, yeah. and beyond, like also including more than that? Yeah, though, like, though we do not notice the unconscious processes around qualia, we can understand the qualia of red, which is also felt by others. Red has the specific qualia of red. <laughs> <laughs> um, gravity, light, sound, taste, bodily sensation, feeling, everything has its own qualia. So it's really vague, but I feel like when I hear that word, it sounds like quality. So mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. essence, mm, pattern. But yeah, the idea of taste and quali qualia is like if you could imagine that all of the cells in your body had mouths. They were like tasting the essences of all the life that is coming in contact with them hmm. and allowing your cells to be moved by that. So when you're engaging in the practice, I don't know, like it's very improvisational. Like if I'm opening the, the receptors of all my cells to taste the various quality. Oh yeah. Like maybe some days I really feel a lot of opening in my heart or some sensation like that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen every day that I'm connecting with that particular being. Interesting. Why taste as the analog? Yeah, I don't know. The first thing that comes to me is because it's, it's a very intimate and like, like a physical um, embodied process of taking something in and... I don't know, when I hear the word taste, I think of like savoring it as well and like trying to feel in my body all the different notes, like the flavors, that. Mm. Yeah, it, there's a necessary crossing of the membrane in taste that there isn't necessarily for hearing or sight, which is mm -hmm. essentially yes. yeah, separate from the thing perceived. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even touch is kind of its own you know i don't have anything else going here i was going to bring that up because <laughs> just because i i might have had covid earlier this year i'm not sure but for a really brief time i lost my sense of taste for like mm. two days and i couldn't really smell anything for those days either and i was eating food that it was a like a pasta carbonara something that we make all the time super delicious and all i had was temperature and texture mm. and i had no flavor and it was like i've never experienced that before but there was like a touch component to taste that i had never mm. distinguished huh. before what i mean there is a difference right it's some sort of like synesthesia combined sensory experience happening on our tongues mm. yeah i guess like what I'm so curious about is if you take that concept of like how that synesthesia like experience happens on your tongue, like couldn't that be happening with every part of your body? Like imagine the level of like receptivity to flavor. Oh yeah. If like your whole <clears throat> like epidermis was like capable of the same type of taste that your tongue is. What you're saying is that it is capable and in fact is engaging with this all the time. And just when you turn your awareness to it, like when you savor a delicious bite of, I'm looking at a pile of morels right now, of freshly cooked morels, where you can't help but just like nom on that, like you could be doing that with 
your spleen and your <laughs> eyeballs and the tip of your nose and the tip of your fingers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Groovy. Hmm. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So that's more like a deep dive into the buto esoteric stuff. But that not everybody who does ecosomatics mm-hmm. would be into this kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> this might just be a me thing. <laughs> I mean, why? It sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, what's the what's the the history of the the school of ecosomatics if you have like a cliff notes or a, a, a timeline for imbeciles version oh well to me the large story is that like ecosomatics is not a new thing it's not a new field of learning it's just like it's a word that i'm using to rekindle like a way of like a like a way of being in an interconnected way that existed for thousands and millions of years probably and i'm using this word because like our culture at this time has sort of fallen out of rhythm with that so the word is helping to like hopefully recreate that rhythm Hmm. but if you're asking i mean i'm not the i'm not the first person to use this word of course there's people out there but i i haven't really trained with anybody from an ecosomatic school so to speak Mm -hmm. i've trained with somatic practitioners i've learned about ecopsychology and I've learned about Buto dance, with Pat, which to me kind of started me on this ecosomatic path. Hmm. Um, and then there's like eco-psychology people out there, and that's very related. But I feel like there's like just this little co- group of people growing all the time of, of, of who are like working at these intersections of ecology and the body and just calling it different things. <laughs> Interesting. You had mentioned Buto. It's come up a couple times, and that it is I know or pretend to know. It's old. It's Japanese, and it's clearly related to this. And that's as far as my knowledge goes. Yeah. What is it, and how does this connect? Um, Buto is an experimental dance form that originated in Japan, post-war Japan, and this, you know, it was considered kind of avant-garde kind of taboo like some people might say that it goes into themes of like the grotesque darkness decomposition decay and it does and and it also is a lot more than that it's very very hard to define what it is Mm. (laughs) but um you can trace it back to like the two main founders tatsumi hijikata and kazuo ono but since then it's kind of just like taken on a life form of its own, which is why I like this guy, Rhizome Lee. I mean, in his name, it's Rhizome, which mm. just feels like that, that there's this essence in Buto of like it just kind of sending this little plant material under the ground and it just like pops up in different places. And maybe the, the, the plant of it looks a little bit different, but it's still like there's some essential quality that's the same. It's kind of hard to describe what it is. So, how did you become uh, acquainted with Buto initially? Well, it was, I was living in New York at the time and it was sort of happening concurrently while I was studying hypnotherapy and also training in physical theater techniques. And some of the physical theater people, they had a a project called the Ume Group and they might still be in existence. And a couple of the people there teach Buto and that was just the first time I ever experienced it. And it just like totally blew my mind and partly because of this like the somatic component of feeling like it wasn't about choreography per se. It was like, 
feeling the resonating images within your body that were moving you and almost Mm. like a whole new paradigm of moving, um, of being moved by something else. Mm. So like this quality of allowing and like almost like a surrender, which was, um, yeah, pretty transformative paradigm shift. And so I continued training with, um, Vangeline. She has an amazing school in New York trained with some other teachers but I, I felt like as I've done like with all of my experiences in the arts like with theater and dance I'm always sort of looking for what's therapeutic about it and so it kind of all converged on this thing of like the the somatic awareness the body in relationship to either other humans or non-human people like the body the relationship the internal awareness of that landscape kind of where it all started to converge for me cool like what types of of buto practices did you find that were particularly conducive to this broadening of awareness that then carried over into the the ecosomatic work yeah um uh, a lot of buto teachers have trained in noguchi taiso which is like um seeing the body as a bag of water and (laughs) um connecting with the fluidity of the body which relates to what i was saying before about like allowing being moved um so i feel like learning that those techniques which are essentially like conditioning techniques it's not like uh i guess you could perform them but it's more just like ways of attuning your body to this way of being Hmm. have been really influential and there's a particular practice that my most recent teacher, Sandra Frale, has, and it's super simple, and that's what I love about it, is you go out into your nearby environment, and you just cover yourself with a found element, whether it's mud or leaves or sticks or water, whatever it is that you find, and completely cover yourself and just wait and supposedly then something emerges a dance emerges or something comes to you in a dream later that night um but yeah again it's that quality of like this real slowness waiting being with and kind of like connecting to your thing about membranes like dissolving the membranes a little bit like covering your human body with this other being yeah, there's something very that reminds me of a, a a lot of ceremonial practice in this, in that there's a ton of preparation and kind of material engagement. The mm. it doesn't need to be ritualized per se, you know, or bound up in a ton of of cultural rules, but just the work of taking a long time to <laughs> be focused on one task, and that task being specifically connected to an awareness of or an engagement of with a non-human other exactly yeah (laughs) and just doing that work is necessarily gonna create those pathways it's going to open the mouths of the skin so to speak like you're talking about before yeah um so that by the time you're you're covered in in moss and ticks then (laughs) you're, uh, you're gonna be um the rest of you is going to be primed and wide awake. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that, that struck me earlier on, you're talking about 
qualia, the experiential side of qualia, reminded me a lot of how maybe less in tune folks might talk about, say, instinct mm. or stimulus response. Mm. The sort of presumably or presumed, I should say, automatic response of other people to events in their environment. And this is maybe a clear articulation of the experience of that responsiveness mm. that it's not basically parallel monologues where one uh, biotic or abiotic stimulus speaks and then a respondent responds but rather there's this continuity mm. and that continuity becomes evident when you go through the process of tuning your awareness tuning your body's capacity to pay attention, to understand in its way, and then translate that into brain signals, into speech, so that others of your, your kind can understand the related experience, mm. like we're doing now, maybe. Mm. Um, one big game of telephone, maybe, with some lost connections, but still a continuity, as opposed to a series of isolated individual incidents, stimulus response. That's an oversimplification. 100%. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Wasn't sure I had anything there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Cool. So I think we got some literature here. I know I kind of enjoy like poking at this topic from a couple of different directions, um, non-continuously, and then seeing how they connect up once we've got a little bit more foundation. I don't know if you've got anything from Uto folk themselves talking about the experience of that. Hmm. I don't know if we, when you were talking about covering yourself with an element and then waiting, yeah. it reminded me of this experiment I did in college where um, it was just how bored I was in college, <laughs> but I was living in a dorm that didn't have AC <clears throat> and it was super, super hot in the like September, I feel like August, September. And it was so hot. I was living in this room by myself and I was like, what does it even mean? when I'm like bitching about how hot it is, like, what does that mean? What is that experience? So I'd lay down on the bed and like put on some clothes and I was like starting to sweat. And I was like, man, this is really, really hot. But like, what is like, what's, what are the gradients of, of what I think of as hot? And so I like pulled a blanket up over myself and then I was like getting really, really uncomfortable and hot just having this crazy internal experience of like, but wait, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean when I'm thinking to myself that this is, this experience is hot? I pulled it up over my head and I start breathing <laughs> under the blanket, right? And it's getting hotter and hotter. And I just kept doing that. I was like piling everything I had in the room on top of myself and finally got to this point where I was like, nothing is hot. Like hot is nothing. Like I am hot. You know, like, <laughs> you know it was, it was a weird experience. Like, trying to find a gradient or a reference point, mm. you know, like, I don't know. It was weird. It just made me think of that though. It kind of sounds like you were also connecting with your internal heat with this like intensity of like, totally more, more. And then like, <laughs> yeah. like the, you know, the quality of your thoughts and your emotions in that uh, moment intrigued me. Yeah. If you're getting any, any bleed in from the feeling of the hot blankets who had been warmed up by you mm -hmm. coming back at you sidewise. Yeah, and it being a haunted as shit building too. Oh yeah, it was one of those buildings from this area of Virginia because I went to school in um, Farmville, where 
it was a building that had been built for a purpose and then was repurposed to house con- like wounded Confederate soldiers. Oh, geez. Um, and so it was haunted as hell. All these soldiers had died in it. The local paranormal society would like come every, every chance they could when there was nobody there to record and camp out and stuff. Uh, so there's like kind of that interesting other layer to it. Oh man. Like, yeah. Were you really that hot? Yeah. <laughs> ghost heat. Like it was actually 30 well, degrees in that room. Yeah. I was gonna say ghosts always make it colder. So maybe they were helping me out there. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing kid? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Sorry. That was total digression from, from your, whatever you're about to actually, read. That, that does bring up, this is still a tangent, but it's, so when you're engaged in these practice and you're kind of your sensory awareness, your tactile awareness in particular is turned up to 11. Do you find any anomalous sensations that seem to be responses with no stimulus that's immediately apparent in your environment? Um, like I can just speak to recent, recent events because that's what's with me right Mm. now. I'm sure there's more from the past, but like recently having moved to the Susquehanna, right on the Susquehanna, I go out there and walk almost every day. And the first couple days, like I know I've been going through a lot of grief lately and like a lot of emotions are coming up anyway, but I'll go out and feel totally fine and stand in a very particular place and like just immediately feel like like a rush of energy into my heart and just like open. And I feel like it's that convergence point for me of the personal grief and opening into some other something else that's going on in this place in particular that is connecting with what I'm going through personally mm. and being moved like in some cases like it feels like beyond beyond my will but I I, I am actually really willing to do that so maybe they, mm. they know that <laughs> interesting does it feel like a human being person or somebody else i don't know hmm. i i i don't pretend i don't want to sound like i know clearly what is going on and who who i'm communicating with because i don't and it might be just that i'm just really fucking moved by how beautiful the river is that mm. could be it too mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a nice stretch of river up there yeah or I don't know, some other stuff going on there. Like that particular area is full of these islands in a very dense way, more mm. so than other parts of the river. Mm. And there's also a dam really close by. So like just thinking about the flow of the movement, it's mm. kind of like really being knocked around in these nooks and crannies of the islands. So maybe my body's picking up on that too. Yeah, totally. Mm. Upstream or downstream of the dam? The islands are downstream of the dam. Okay. Interesting. So there's a lot of rushing energy mm. coming into that condensed well, that area. It's been pent up and then mm-hmm. selectively mm-hmm. permitted to go mm-hmm. for now. Well, I guess, <clears throat> I don't know, this is not exactly what we were talking about, but just to get, you got to get a little bit of Kazuo Ono in here, mm. his words. Basically, Buto means to meander or to move, as it were in twists and turns between the realms of the living and the dead. Yeah, you had mentioned earlier on uh, before the show when we were talking about connections through Buto with interaction with places and interactions with the dead. And definitely when you said uh, post-war Japan, 
Um, the first thing that springs to mind is, you know, dealing with catastrophic trauma for a ton mm -hmm. of folks. Yeah. In what ways is interacting with the greater body of a place, like or unlike interacting with the greater body of a family lineage or a community or something, living and dead, or within one's own self, grief for those who have passed, if that's a part of that practice at all. Yeah, I think all the things you said are extremely connected and in different ways. Like, you, maybe we can more easily tap into the, the, the grief of, or it doesn't have to be grief. It could also just be dancing with your ancestors who are with you hmm. um, all the time. So it doesn't have to be the grief of it, but it could just be like feeling their presence. That could be an easier way of of kind of feeling this edge between living, the living and the dead than it is for some people to feel that with a place because that has, that's like super vast and it's really hard to know. Like we don't have all the written down history of every being that's passed through this mm. place. And, and, and we know that a lot of those beings are gone so that there's a lot of grief there. Um, so sometimes I feel, I feel like over overwhelmed by that particular shape of grief of it's so vast, but also so like hard to pin down what it really is. I can feel like a big river just like sweeping you away into this mysterious grief versus like attuning with your own ancestral lineage. For some people, it's a little bit easier to know like who, who are these people what were their stories? How is it still living in my body? How do I know what it feels like when they're with me or not with me? Stuff like that. Yeah, the engagement through the practice is not tactile. It's that, again, the tasting, it's the full, mm. the full body experience, mm. the exterior becoming interior, but mediated through a process that's not you know, when you're tasting something, you're not categorizing which flavor specifically you're experiencing when you're really, as you were saying before, savoring it. Or maybe I'm just reading too much into the metaphor here. Yeah. Sometimes if you're in a direct experience with something, it's really hard to categorize what is it in language. Mm. In mm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Does that mean that the categories aren't there because at a certain level the quality of the experience is sort of a unified field, if you will, that includes multiple different valences simultaneously, or is it just an overwhelm of... Uh... Well, Ben, I'd actually like to read back to you a quote that you wrote, if oh, that's yikes. all right. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> you said this, Ben. You said... <laughs> Answering your own question right oh. now. Oh, no. <laughs> Everything discreetly formed, be it grown or crafted, has a way and a will. Every river, every channel, every rill and ripple is itself inviolate and also part of a broader self. As a human being is part mammal, part bacterium, part arthropod, fungus, protozoan, 
and each of the us who are us are ourselves the consensus of many cells, so one might consider the nested cells of the rest of the world's people. I mean, if I say so. <laughs> <laughs> if you do say so yourself. <laughs> yeah. Some wise guy said that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I dig. So it's it's like like nesting dolls or mm -hmm. really more like cells in an organism. Mm -hmm. The living, the dead, the others, other persons of an ecology, which is to say the a, a studying house. Mm -hmm. exactly okay cool <laughs> yeah so like with the the rill and the and the river the idea being that there's a big self that's the whole river but a little self that's the rill the little the little mm -hmm. eddy that you run into on the shore mm -hmm. so when you're standing by the riverside and feel that overwhelm of emotion that is both the singular rill of that particular spot but also a constituent component self of potentially a larger self engage in the whole landscape there's the particular feeling of the river below the dam dam inclusive in the vibe of the place but also the total totality of the susquehanna from spring spring waters way way back up in the allegheny highlands all the way down to the sea in the chesapeake bay and all the land that waters it and all the soils that water the land and so on and so forth and when you're when your body's selves are tasting the moss or the air when you're engaged in this spot, you are detecting real and river, or could at least. Yeah, sometimes it's a wonder I'm able to walk back home in one human piece after that. <laughs> I know. Seriously, brings the term pull yourself together. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. But like I said before, not all ecosomatic practices are like this. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? This sounds awesome. <laughs> There's other ways. Like, for example, the mundane thing. Like, I would consider planting a seed is mm -hmm. also an ecosomatic practice because you're bonding your rhythm of your body with the rhythm of the earth. Mm -hmm. Or like anytime you're digging up a little a root, a toothwort little root or something like you're you're engaging in an ecosomatic practice or i don't know like for me also as a woman like tracking my cycle and how it does or doesn't align with the moon feels like an ecosomatic practice of like mm -hmm. yeah my body rhythms are inseparably inseparably bonded to the earth's rhythms and that takes so many shapes and forms and some of them are just like so basic that i'm like oh everything is ecosomatic if you want it to be <laughs> yeah like you're saying before it's all membranes they're all porous there is there is self and there's other but the difference between the two is there's gray areas there's interstices mm -hmm. yeah to be put on my excessively reductionist hat for just a second and then i'll throw it back in the fire um the idea uh so there's you know studies done on the smell of geosmin the smell of of spring soil um that the aroma that actinomycetes the little fungi like bacteria like organisms that live in the soil that give it that fresh spring aroma that just after a rain uh smell um leads to positive serotonin production anyway it makes you happy um mm -hmm. like in a measurable way because i mean 
yeah, duh. But like, uh, <laughs> is it really the smell, this particular set of chemicals that sets off the reaction in a brain? Or is it that this engagement is part of the big body, which when it's engaged with itself is healthier than a, a body that's separated from itself? And is that perhaps what is going on in this particular phenomenon? Hmm. Yeah, I noticed myself like really like leaning forward into you as you're saying like, oh yeah, I like the way that sounds. That sounds true. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yep. Don't know if that's a real thing or not, but I remember reading it. And because it was written, it must be real. Yeah. Because it's right. not the real thing. It's just the record of it. Anyway, sorry, getting too meta. Yeah. Um, Simulacrum. Speaking of meta, this is a, that's, that, that feeds into a, 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 a painful jump to what we were talking about before, but. But you use the term body metaspore yes. to describe Whoa. your practice. Could you, as they say, unpack that for us? Sure. I'll try my very best. Um, body metaspore. Three disparate words, but also for me, just like they are this like inseparable concept for did me. Did you coin this? I did. Ooh. I did. The one thing that I can say, yeah, like I... I like that thing, and I, I made that thing, sort of. But I can't really also, because I was, I'll tell you, because I was inspired by all these other things, it wasn't really just me. But um, So you heard it here first, everybody <laughs> out there. <laughs> Breaking news. Um, I guess it was maybe in 2019, I had been reading some articles about mushrooms and thinking about mushrooms and everything, and... I think it was, uh, I wish I had the article to reference right now, Robert McFarlane or something like that. And he was writing about searching, like searching for the language of mushrooms. Hmm. And when I read that phrase, I responded with like, oh, you mean like a metaspore, like a metaphor, like a metaspore. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's where it started. That was like the, uh -huh. the starting point for me. And then I was like, oh, I started doing all this wordplay, like metaphor metaspore but then meta has been a theme for me in my life like m-e-t-t-a the mm -hmm. word that means loving kindness and i don't know it just like really very quickly started to like process and digest through my system i was like oh body metaspore that's what i do that's like mm. why i'm here mm. wow <laughs> um but yeah so like it also kind of pleasantly for me contrasts and like plays with Another like three part thing that's very common in healing circles, like body, mind, spirit, and which, you know, I had sort of ascribed to at one point of like this philosophy of seeing things that way. It just felt like such a relieving shift for me to see it more like body metaspore, mm -hmm. like they're, they're layers of the same thing, but almost like a funnel in a way, not to like centralize my human body as like this, this point from which everything else is connected, but it's like spore has this feeling of like vastness almost mm. like intergalactic intergalactic vastness and also is like e ecological wisdom and mystery and magic and then meta is like this relational quality of giving and receiving love and kindness it's like kind of bringing it a little bit down to planet earth for me it's not so intergalactic mm -hmm. and then like body is like very earthly fleshy and like how all of these different layers coincide with each other mm feels very right to me because the practice again because of this porosity and because of this kind of amplifying nested selfhood that it engages with is engaging on those three 
sections of the gradient. Mm -hmm. Big to little or little to big. Yeah. Yeah, little to big, but you could also play with it and be like, um, feel meta in a tiny way and spores in a tiny way and body in a bit. Like it can play around with the mm. scale of things too and just like experiment with it. Cool. But, um, yeah, I feel like it's a typical distinction, like a dualistic distinction to think of like the body and the spirit or the body and the mind. Um, and sort of draw some sort of line between the material and wherever our thoughts live. Um, but it sounds like you're talking about like a third division. Mm. Um, would you say it's like some sort of trialism or something? I don't know what that would be. Yeah, but it's also <clears throat> like what Ben is saying of like kind of like diffusing them all. They're mm -hmm. they're inseparable. Like you can't talk about. I cannot talk about my body without it being connected to the concept of meta or spore in the way that sure. I'm using it of like relationship and ecology mm -hmm. like that. I just cannot any longer see them as separate things. Mm -hmm. Cool. Is there anything that distinguishes, um, maybe not separates, but, um, there's some level of distinction between I'm trying to think, um, the meta and the spore. Hmm. Maybe I'm just being idealistic to think that there's some quality of loving kindness in all of this world. <laughs> that might be idealistic, and that might not be true. <laughs> I mean, it's a core element in the handful of non-Western cosmologies that I have at least some passing familiarity with. I know um, Jack Forbes in Columbus and Other Cannibals, which is kind of a survey of some well it's an ex, it's an attempt to explain what makes white people so damn crazy such a great title um and sort of from the context of uh, he was uh he's a lenape uh, historian who was very involved in aim and the american indian movement in mm -hmm. the 70s which was a political political movement by um a bunch of native american um, both north and south uh, activists to forge political uh, alliances between the many, 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 many tribes and tribal polities, uh, indigenous nations of, of this region in order to uh, exert their collective force to get a better shake in the world. Mm. And in some ways it worked, in some ways it didn't. But one of the things that came out of it was, a, was the, the Pan-Indian uh, kind of project, which was an idea of internally at least to recognize certain commonalities of purpose and history and experience between all of these very different ethnicities and cultures and language groups and political formations uh, in common interest. And so hmm. Columbus and other cannibals kind of came out of this um, spirit of pan-Indianism. Again, not claiming that there is something that is inherently intrinsically the same for all of these many, many different cultures, but that it is politically useful for them to to coincide compare notes and so on so his thesis is that um something fucked up uh the ancestors of the colonizers at some point in our history but did not fuck up the ancestors of everybody else in the world and so if we look at the histories and the cosmogenies of other people in the world 
we can see maybe what's more like normal behavior for human beings hmm. once we're liberated from the historical bias towards European history and assume that that's normal and everybody else either doesn't exist, doesn't count, or is abnormal, um, inferior, for instance. That's right. abnormal. That's outside of the normal. Europe, Europe is normal. Everybody else is inferior. They're abnormal. Well, that's obviously crazy and dumb. It makes more sense to say, well, why is this one set of cultures that acted really differently than everybody else? Why did they do that? Anyway, I'm bearing the lead here. So one of the things that, that Forbes argued was that... Uh, uh, okay. Oh my god! I was like, "Where did it? Where did it go?" Like, uh, sorry, where's I, the connection? We could cut all of that. No, no, no. It was super no, interesting. I, liked it. I just lost the thread. Yeah. That's all. Uh, so did I. So, <laughs> well, the question was about like, uh, well, I had said, "Is it idealistic if yes, yeah, yeah to yeah. think that there's a loving kindness?" And no, because in a survey of a bunch of different cosmogenies uh, developed certainly within this hemisphere. Um, a lot of cultures have a creation, a cosmogony, a story about where where the universe comes from, in which love is identified as specifically the, the concept of love, which is, of course, different, different cultures, different languages, define it slightly differently, articulate in different terms. But when I say love, you know what I'm talking about? It's that that concept is intrinsic. It's the it is the single unifying. It's the unified field. It's what mm. holds what holds matter, which is the same root as mother. It's the loving kindness that, that brings us, that makes there be something and not nothing. That's love. That's what that is. In a slightly more developed cosmogony that has lasted for more than 100 years without burning each other's books, <laughs> you have time for these concepts to mature and be tested empirically and developed further, which a lot of North American and South American cultures prior to the invasion you know, really did have a fairly deep, well, not a fairly, an incredibly deep and detailed um, theology, cosmogony, physics, biology, some of which was destroyed, a lot of which was not, some of which is secret, some of which is public knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. It's a heterogeneous bunch. But anyway, yeah, a lot of people agree. Love is foundational to the universe. You're not being optimistic. Sorry, that was a, that was a tangent. Um, yeah, so that's why body metaspore. <laughs> yeah i i have a question but i don't really know how to ask it like i don't it's maybe not really a full question yet but it, I, I like the wordplay of like the metaphor metaspore thing and i guess i'm just curious about that like um what's the metaphorical function uh in inside of that mm. term or or it uh, do, do you, do you know what I'm asking? Sort mm -hmm. of, I, I'm I, I don't know how to ask it. Yeah, there's something <clears throat> about the power of metaphors that is a part of this too, and how metaphors are pointing to something that maybe are too vast or mm -hmm. something to like understand. But, um, like as an ecosomatic practitioner utilizing metaphors found abundantly in nature like rhizomes and mycelium and things like this they're metaphors for but they're, they're real they're like they're simultaneously like real and also metaphors to help me maybe like work in a group setting or in a one-on-one -on -one setting with someone to try to explain like a concept mm -hmm. or yeah like um 
I mean, I use metaphors all the time. Like images are metaphors too. Like seed, like what are the seeds that you are growing in your life? And mm-hmm. like, I don't know how else to say it other than that there's some potency in the use of metaphor for pointing at something uh, to help us integrate it. Totally. Like that. Yeah. Thicker with meaning or more condensed in some ways. Remember my high school English teacher had this walking stick that he would swing around really close to people's faces <laughs> when he wanted to make a point and have us not forget it. So he'd get us good and frightened and then yell at us. Um, I just remember him standing up and brandishing this thing being two types of meaning, connotative meaning and denotative meaning. Denotative meaning is for chumps. <laughs> Dictionary. Connotative meaning. Thick meaning. <laughs> you know, like denotative definition of the word is, you know, whatever it says in, in you know, Webster's right. professional. And then the connotative meaning is what it suggests, what it makes you feel, what you connect to it idiosyncratically from your own experiences, what cultural associations most people who you're liable to encounter have with it, et cetera, et cetera. And metaphors always act on that connotative level in addition to whatever denotatively they suggest. So informationally, they're much more dense. They can convey so much more than a simple denotative stripped-down definition. Yeah, which is why it's hard for me to concretely explain. Totally. To me, like body metaspore is a metaphor for something that that I can't otherwise describe. Like this is the only <laughs> way I've figured out to condense it to give it to you. Yeah. I love that wordplay is like doing so much for you in that term like, yeah. because as you know we love puns on this, on this show like the, the name of the show is a pun yeah it's two puns it's two puns i love metaphors because i feel like they're like the best way to communicate with somebody is with like a story or mm-hmm. a shared experience mm-hmm. but you can tell like a whole story with one metaphor you know what i mean like you can get a lot further with meta fives. <laughs> <laughs> I started out on meta three. Look where I am now. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> I keep thinking of that guy, Metal World Peace. Do you know about this basketball player, Ron Artest? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe somebody out there is also <laughs> making this connection, but he's an incredibly violent basketball player who mm-hmm. was constantly getting kicked out of games for like fouling people like egregiously and had all these domestic issues and then he just showed back up after a stint in jail showed back up to play another game and his jersey said world peace on the back and everybody's like why does it say world peace and he legally changed his name to meta world peace after that whoa as a way of like rebranding himself and literally that very game he ran into the stands and like dropped an elbow on somebody in the stands because they were talking trash. Okay. Brave enough to the name. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, yeah, not to do right. <laughs> the, the metaphor. He's fringing on your on your brand. <laughs> yeah, watch out for Ron Artest. Yeah. Into the metaverse. Oh, see no. Sorry. Out of, back out of the metaverse, back in the real out world. Of the metaverse. I guess maybe there's one other way of looking at that, like the metaphor thing. Mm-hmm. Body metaphor, mm-hmm. body metaphor, mm. body as metaphor for yeah. something. Because I don't know, like you look at the the way that people carry their bodies. Mm-hmm. It is kind of like a condensed image of their their 
their life, their story, what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's like another way of looking at the, the word play. Yeah. Body metaphors as well, body metaphors. Yeah. The, any individual incarnation of the, the total environment, human or otherwise, their body being part of the whole. Yeah, do you have uh, something to plug or place where people can find something that you've made public? Yeah, my website is bodymetaspore.com, and you can be in touch with me from there. I have, in the last couple years, like, seen or worked with clients on video, but I'm now experimenting with doing ecosomatic experiences on the land where I'm living currently in um, Southeast Pennsylvania. And I'm interested in collaborating on all sorts of artistic adventures with folks. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is lots of food for thought. Looking forward to chewing this over the next couple of days. Yeah. I like your tasting metaphors there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Just chewing it up and spitting it out and chewing it back up again and spitting it out. (laughs) It's going to be great. Get every last bit of flavor out of it. (laughs) Mm, Drink the qualia. This has been by the cud of our (laughs) fourth stomach. (laughs) Just ruminating on that all night long. (laughs) 